It's really good to be with you. Um, again, my name is Nick, and I don't get to come over very often. And uh, so it is, it is actually really exciting for me because I do spend a lot of time praying for you, and I get to hear uh, um, a lot of great updates of things going on here and just what God is doing and celebrating. And so I feel very connected. Um, you probably don't feel very connected to me. Uh, but I feel very connected to you, and I'll follow you around and see how you're doing and, and uh, praise God for all that he's doing in your life. And it's such a joy for me to get to work with Pastor Brad and Jeremy and Scott and Ryan um, and, and just to have constant fellowship with them. And it is, a, it is a beautiful vision for us to be one church and four congregations. And I know um, that even behind the scenes, God is doing so much just to bring collaboration and unity. And I can't help but think that uh, that, that one, that God is, um, that that's what God wants for his church to be unified and to be uh, together in many different contexts and many different people. And so I just, I'm, I'm super thankful for that. And again, thankful to be here. Um, so we have been in the book of Isaiah for a few months now. And so sometime, sometimes we will uh, go in deep with a few verses and really unpack what those mean. And sometimes we need to uh, kind of get the big picture of what's going on and really capture some context. And it's been beautiful to kind of go back and forth and see, <clears throat> uh, see the beauty of all that Isaiah is painting for us. But I think one of the best, best things that we can do as we approach the book of Isaiah is actually ask Isaiah, what is it that you see? You have this vision, so what are you seeing? So we come up next to Isaiah, and we look with him. We're looking out, what are you seeing? What are you uh, imagining about God, about God's people, Israel, about uh, yourself? What are you imagining? What are you seeing? What vision has God given you? And so that's what we're doing, is kind of coming up next to Isaiah and looking. But if we were literally to do that with Isaiah as this was happening, what we would do is we would come out and we would look and what we would see is actually war, destruction. We'd see orphans and widows and tragedy. We look out and we see all of that and we, and we, we reread this and we get closer to Isaiah and say, I don't quite see what you see here, Isaiah. I'm not seeing this celebration, this triumph, this shoot from the stump of Jesse. I don't see it. But we want to get next to Isaiah and really dig in. What are you seeing, Isaiah? What are you seeing? More than Assyria cut down, more than God's people being disciplined, what are you seeing? Now, if we're catching the vision uh, Isaiah is seeing in the midst of this tragedy, we do actually see something altogether whole, altogether perfect. And if we're really listening, and that's the challenge for us, because some of you live and, and see what Isaiah sees, you look out in your life and you just see tragedy. You see a mess, you see brokenness, you see despair, you can't see anything else. And so what you need more than anything is to get next to Isaiah and hear his vision. See what he's actually talking about. Catch an understanding in the midst of the despair because Isaiah is not saying run away from it, get away from all the despair, get away from the tragedy. He's giving us good news in the middle of it. So this is what we're going to do. We want, I want to look at chapter 11 and see the triumph. 
The triumph that he's talking about of a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And then in chapter 12, we see a celebration. We see Isaiah break forth in celebration, a song from the salvation of the Lord. And this is what Isaiah is showing us. And so for for those of you who have ears to hear and eyes to see, let's join Isaiah and hear this, capture this. I remember in, in my teenage years, I went backpacking out west and we were, I was, we were in this dense forest, and uh, on this trail, it was, it was so gorgeous. Everything was super green and filled and super thick, and, and you could hardly see 10 feet in front of you because there's such big trees, big as my house. And we're walking along this trail, and all of a sudden, we come right to the edge of the woods, and it was like a, somebody took a saw and cut down the middle of the woods, and then there was nothing. It was just logs all the trees all fallen down. It was nothing because a tornado had come through a few months before then, and it was, it was like really eerie because there was no wind, there was nothing, there was no birds, there was nothing in front of us. It was just trees falling down and, and nothing. And this is more like what Isaiah is imagining here and what he's seeing when he's thinking through this. It's bizarre. And, and God, what happened was is that God used he used wicked people like Assyria. Now remember Assyria. Assyria is a war-hungry people. They hated Israel, but they were going to protect God's people. Um, and, and so God actually used Assyria like a rod to discipline God's people, but then later God went to Assyria and took care of them too. And so what he was essentially doing is leveling everyone. He's leveling everyone because of your pride, because of your self-righteousness, because you think that you, get, you got this all on your own. God has come along and leveled everyone. So all people, God's people, Assyria, the wicked, were all this place of, of wondering and awe, who is God? And so we see, and, and we, we kind of resonate with this in many ways. We should resonate with this, resonate with this in so many ways because we... We still hang on to our pride, don't we? We still ha- come to God and we say, I got this, God, I can do this on my own. I got this business I can do on my own. I got uh, my schooling. I've got my family. I can take care of this. Look, our life's perfect. Our life's great. God, we can use you on Sundays because sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning, but the rest of the time we got it. And God is bringing them all down to see something beautiful. So imagine Isaiah comes to the edge of the woods, to the edge of all of this, and he looks out. And and then remember, we're standing next to Isaiah, and we want to see what he sees. So we're right next to him looking out, and he says, out there, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. From nothing comes a whole new reality, a whole new vision for the world. What Isaiah sees is something that we can see with him. He, what he's actually seeing is a baby born in Bethlehem in a manger with no status, with a terrible family lineage, a family reality, but he sees a whole new vision for the world. What Isaiah sees is 
is, is, is bringing into our lives a new reality of something greater, something bigger. He sees Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Isaiah knows. He knows that there is not going to be another nation that can rebuild. He knows that there is not going to be another king who can actually handle. He sees something much bigger he shows us that out of nothing comes actually everything. Isaiah sees the Messiah, Jesus. But again, it's not as the world sees him. As the world sees him, Isaiah sees him one with the Spirit. Listen to what he's talking about when he's describing the Messiah. He's not, he's not describing him as we might think of him or as God's people might be thinking that he's coming. He's saying he's one with the Spirit, full of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and proper fear of the Lord, verse 2. And the Messiah will judge the heart. He's talking about in verse 3. Defend the weak. The, the Messiah is, is greater. He's saying the greater than Assyria, greater than Ahaz, greater than all of these people. The Messiah, this shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse, is actually greater than all other kings in this world. Can you see what Isaiah is seeing here? As you're looking, at this point you should say, uh, I'm not seeing it, Isaiah. I'm looking out, and I'm seeing everything's gone. It's war. It's devastation. It's despair. I'm having a hard time seeing this. But Isaiah's seeing something great. If you could see that the rule and reign of Jesus Christ is coming, if you can see what it means then something will change in you. If we can understand Isaiah's vision here, then it's, it, it means something new. Because what Jesus brings is true liberation. Him as the king, him as the grand, as the big, as the sovereign. When we come under that, he brings a, a, a liberation, a, a grace to fail because when we fail, we realize that He is carrying us. He is holding us. He is bringing us through. And with Jesus, He's saying we are healed of our deepest wounds, which is our self-made ownership. He's not saying the king is going to come and he's going to rebuild the city and he's going to make it great again and he's going to provide food and then he's going to make everybody happy and healthy. He's not just saying that. He's talking about something deeper, a comfort that we all crave that we crave. It's something that's not about us, but it's about actually something much greater, the King Jesus. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean as some of you might hear that now that Jesus has come and he is the King and he is ruling and we are under his rule, that it, it's, not, it's not like some of you might hear where Jesus means now the rise of religious duty or some no fun rules or dogma that we just have to follow and, and be quiet and obey and that's what it's all about. We can't put salvation, we can't put salvation of the Lord into petty dogma here his salvation, his rule, his reign is the renewal of what it means to joy. He is talking about something more satisfying. No more poverty, no more sex trafficking, no more mental disabilities, no more racism. That brings us comfort. 
And Isaiah is seeing the great Messiah come from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse is the father of the famous character in the scripture, David, King David. It's a kingly line, a powerful line. It's an important line, but we know by now it's clearly broken. It's a broken and failed family line. And anybody come from a broken and failed family line? Right? We all, we all should be there. The Messiah will bring a reign unlike all other kings to which we can taste now. Not fully experience, but we can taste the rule of Jesus and experience in part which uh, that one day we will experience in full. So the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he is again in verse 11 or verse 10, he is the signal for all people. He is to we are drawn in as he is lifted up, or as John 12, 32, Jesus states, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, <clears throat> will draw all people to myself. And we know, and we know when the cross of Christ is lifted up, we are now truly seeing what Isaiah sees. We're capturing more of what Isaiah is really capturing. We have that aha moment where we are drawn to explore this new reality. What does this mean then? What does this mean for us? That out of ashes comes this beauty. Out of the cut down stump comes an entirely new life, he's saying. And as Isaiah draws and dwells on this, and he's thinking about this, and he's seeing this, and we come alongside him to look with him and to imagine this with him, we are seeing triumph. We're experiencing triumph to gaze at the cross of Christ, remember the throne, remembering our sin and the forgiveness of our sin, seeing the future of Christ. And so Isaiah does the only thing he knows to do at this point. He bursts forth in celebration. He is ecstatic. He can't believe it. He can't believe what he's seeing. So when we again pull up next to Isaiah to see what he sees, it causes our hearts to burst with joy, with celebration, with thanksgiving, with shouting, with singing. A song arises from the salvation of the Lord. Now, it's hard now, as we move into chapter 12, it's hard to know what Isaiah means when he says, you will say in that day, but it's kind of as if he is projecting and looking forward to his future self, and here's what he would say to his future self, that we aren't just seeing the vision, but we are experiencing the fullness of it. This is what we do when we experience the fullness of it. Here's what it looks like. This is what we will say. We will give God personal thanksgiving, verse 1 and 2. And then we will find joy from the well in verse 3. And then we'll make known his glorious name in verses 4 through 6. And let's walk through that and just see the response of Isaiah in this. And I'm praying and hoping that as you look and see what Isaiah sees, that this becomes your heart. Look at verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, you, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. 
<clears throat> Isaiah is being deeply personal here. He's using the singular you as he begins to worship. He's talking about himself. He, he is recalling his own shortcomings, <clears throat> his own deep-seated sin as he looks and sees the triumph of Christ, as he sees Christ who will come, the Messiah. As he sees all of that, he begins to see his own sin in this, and he knows his motivations are, are twisted, but he remembers. He remembers this truth. At one time, I was an enemy of God, but now he comforts me with his grace. He comforts me with his grace. God's anger, his justice, his condemnation, it didn't just go away. This is what we need to capture here, is that it didn't just dissolve. Because Isaiah said, sorry. Because Isaiah said, woe is me. It dissolved because it was placed upon Jesus Christ. Jesus became our substitute. Now, start listening to this yourself. <clears throat> For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah is simply He's simply saying here, and he's simply remembering here, thank you, God, for saving a sinner like me, for turning away your anger. I was, <clears throat> I was embarrassed to find out recently that one of the leaders of the church ran into or was a longtime friends with somebody I went to high school with. Um, just, it's tragic for me because um, they were sharing with this leader that um, they were really shocked to see that I was not only a Christian, but that I was a pastor. <clears throat> and so they decided to share a few really terrible stories. And uh, I, of course, just felt the wickedness and, and this, um, and I, I was slightly embarrassed that they would know all these, all these terrible things about my past. But then I think what shocks me most what shocks me most is now that I am a Christian and now that I am a pastor is that God is still rich in mercy towards me because I know that I am the biggest hypocrite in this room when I stand and proclaim everything great about who God is, yet I am still in my sin. But God's mercy is rich and his anger should be striking me dead, but yet he comes and comforts me. And in this place of awe and wonder, and in this place of feeling the weight of all that Isaiah is feeling here, why save me, O oh Lord? Why show, com give me comfort and show me mercy? It's in that place that Isaiah is finding strength. It's where he's finding strength at, with the Lord God, or as Ray Ortland Jr., he's a pastor and a scholar, he says, when we experience how strong God really is on our behalf, better than we thought he'd be, he becomes our song. And what, what we're seeing Isaiah get as he's 
understanding that God is comforting him, God is being his strength, he's turned his anger away, is that he's being strengthened, and now he has this beautiful song to sing, this, this place, this song, this is, this is why. This is why when we get a guitar or a piano in the room and we start singing songs, and I, I am often in awe of the songs that we sing and the truth that we sing about, and as Pastor Joe talked about when we sing, about the goodness of God. You might not feel it, but it's true. He is good. We might not see it, but it's true. Isaiah didn't see goodness. He saw a wicked people who kept turning their back on God. He saw a wicked person in himself who kept being disobedient. But he also saw and experienced the grace and the goodness and the mercy of him. And so I... I just don't understand how oftentimes we can come and sing hallelujah, glory be to our great God with our arms crossed and not even hardly caring how I can do that. When where Isaiah is and if we're seeing what he's seeing, we ought to be climbing on our seats. Like I know this, you, you can't do that here, right? But we, we want to be, right? We're that place where we just want to climb on our seats and jump up and down and start praising God that he has given salvation. This is where, where Isaiah is. When we've tasted the goodness of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, comfort of God, we become strong in him. Or as Paul would say, if God is for us, what is, what is the rest? Who can be against us, right? We can trust him. We won't fear this world. We are strengthened, and God is our song. Now look at verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. How many times have we looked to a parched world for a drink? I could, I could probably get a million stories right here, right now, from how many of you have gone to business world, sought power, sought money, sought material possessions, and you thought, in them, if I can just get it, if I can just have it, I will find satisfaction. If my kids would just obey... I would be there. I would arrive. Maybe this time I'll find it. Maybe this time I'll capture it. But it's what, what Isaiah is saying with this is that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can find true satisfying, a true satisfying well, true water. Isaiah sees this well, and he knows that joy is offered. Joy is available to drink in. We don't need to come feeling guilty. There's no more condemnation. We come and drink, and we remember that we are a people who've been wandering through the desert. These are a people who still have not arrived. Wanderers. They are so thirsty. We are so thirsty. And so we don't need to come and ask God for a sip. We jump in. We drink. We shower. We guzzle. We get to experience all of it. And it's God's joy to do that. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He is giving this to us. And, and the more we soak in this living water, 
the greater our praise. The greater our praise. Revelation 7, 17 gives us a picture of the glorious good news of the gospel saying, for the Lamb, that's the Messiah Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Now, Isaiah, his vision of what the Messiah will do in him personally, he begins to start thinking about his countrymen, his countrywomen, his friends, his family, after experiencing that and after celebration of that, he begins to think of his neighbors. He's not just thinking of himself anymore, but others. He's turned to others in the plural, saying, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord. For he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah sees a world waking up to the glorious name of the Lord. He sees them, eyes seeing for the first time. He sees the deeds and all that God has done and the world shouting for joy and singing to the Holy One of Israel. The name of the Lord, His glory is not just for Himself. It's not just for Himself, but for the world to see and to experience. God is on a mission to seek and save the world, save the lost. But notice how this happens. Verse 6, important word, for. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Sounds a lot like, behold, I'll be with you until the end of the ages. It sounds a lot like, as the Father has sent me, therefore I'm sending you. My spirit is upon you. It's in the presence of God, in our lives, the presence of God in our lives that spreads the gospel. The powerful presence of the Holy One in our lives shapes the presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. The deeds that are performed, the words that are spoken. Christianity is not private because the presence of the Spirit is made known. It's made known. God is not content to be hidden in your heart. He is far too big for that. He is a banner to be lifted up before all people and praised before all to be enjoyed by everyone. And the song of salvation from the Lord, yes, it is personal. It's the water to our thirsty souls, and it is to be proclaimed to all people. We sing, we rejoice, we find joy because we've been saved. Now, <clears throat> Isaiah is one of those books that we could fill our heads with a lot of knowledge. There is so much going on in this book. But we come to the end of this section we come to the end of this section today, not 
for more knowledge. And, and Isaiah is not just needing and gaining more knowledge here, but if we come up right next to Isaiah's side and see what he sees, we can't just take in more information, but we have to join in the celebration. We just have to join in the celebration. The vision Isaiah is having has begun. It has begun because of Christ, because of Jesus, the kingdom of God has been opened for us to taste, to see, to experience in part, which one day we will experience in full. 15th century theologian John Trapp said, no duty is more pressed in both testaments than this, of rejoicing in the Lord. It is no less a sin not to rejoice than not to repent. Now, most of you here would probably not argue that repentance is part of salvation. But can we at least entertain that rejoicing is equally called for? It's equally called for. We rejoice in our present day salvation. Jesus has made a way through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. He has made a way for us. He is present with us through his Holy Spirit, even right now. He is preparing. He is preparing a wonderful reality that we can taste, but we will once one day fully experience where wolves and lambs will be together, where leopards and goats, where children will play with cobras. It's almost too unreal to imagine. And as we take communion, as we get to participate in this meal, and we get to worship freely here, sing loudly, raise your hands, no more cool factor. You can just put that down. But we come up next to Isaiah and we see what he sees and we rejoice with him. We celebrate. We, we, we find joy. We weep with joy. But don't leave this gathering. Don't leave this time without celebrating the triumph of our great and powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I know that there are no words that can stir us up to see and taste and feel what Isaiah is beholding. But your Holy Spirit, we ask to stir in us now that hope, that excitement, that passion, to taste and see that the Lord is good and has been good to us and to this world. And Lord, would you do a great work to celebrate your goodness and do it in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.